We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. I got second four. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We gonna line up. We gonna play. Tighten up, baby. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible. I'm doing this intro a little less thrilled and excited than usual as we are here to recap the Tennessee Titans' loss to the Houston Texans. We are presented by Not just any loss. Not just any loss. Pretty brutal. Uh, We are presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. The other voice you just heard was Justin Mello, who is always with me here how you doing, Justin, after uh, this past weekend? Uh, peculiar. I think that's the only word I can think of, right? Certainly a, a strange loss, to say the least. One that I'll admit I, I did not see coming um, at all, truthfully. So, But we're here to go through it, talk about it. And then we've got a – we're going to flush it, right? Just like Mike Vrabel is probably going to tell the guys this week, we're going to flush it. We're going to bring on a terrific guest who's going to help us cover a really big game against the New England Patriots on Sunday. That's right. So let's get into it right off the bat. Some news. Some news. All right. Just to let you guys know, Justin and I recorded this episode on Monday night, still releasing on Wednesday morning. But on Tuesday, some stuff happened. So I'm going to run through it really quickly by myself and then jump right back into the episode where I cut it out here. Some other news to get to before what we read on the show is that Marcus Johnson, wide receiver, was placed on IR. Justin and I ended up talking about him a little bit, so obviously what we say there is not really relevant anymore because he's out for the season. Titans also waived running back Adrian Peterson and signed Dontrell Hilliard to the active roster after his big game. Titans also signed wide receiver Golden Tate to the practice squad. So I don't expect to see him in New England because he would have to learn the playbook and get up to speed really quickly. And we saw some miscommunication issues between Tannehill and his receivers in that last game that could have led to some of those interceptions. So you'd hate to see Golden Tate go out on the field without knowing the offense and cause some kind of issue like that. So don't know what this means for A.J. Brown's status or if this is purely a reaction to the Marcus Johnson IR move, but Golden Tate is a Tennessee Titan Titans fans been clamoring clamoring for that for some time. All right, that's it. We're going to get back to the actual episode we recorded now. Sorry for this brief aside, but like I said, we recorded on Monday night because Thanksgiving week, we got a lot going on, so didn't have a chance to record on Tuesday night, but wanted to get this update in there. All right, back to the regularly scheduled programming. The Titans have placed linebacker Joe Jones on the reserve COVID list. We don't know if he tested positive or if he was a close contact, but he probably won't be available for Sunday. I don't know if that even matters because a lot of Titans fans were tweeting today that they don't, they've never even heard of this guy. So um, not really that relevant news. We also have an update on A.J. Brown who left Sunday's game twice. He left initially with what appeared to be a finger or hand injury of some sort, returned to the game, caught that pass on the sideline, took a big hit, and uh, injured his chest is what the official designation is, so probably a collarbone or, or something in that area. And Ian Rappaport tweeted out this morning that the x-rays on his chest came back negative. He's still going undergoing further testing that could potentially reveal more damage, but promising early returns, so... Hopefully, 
A.J. Brown will be able to get back this weekend for the big game against New England. Don't expect to see him in practice this week, but your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think it's really important that they have A.J. Brown in this upcoming game against New England. Uh, I think we saw what the offense looks like when they don't have A.J. um, in this game, Uh, the one against Houston, that is. And it didn't look very good, right? And that's not shocking, right? They also lost Marcus Johnson. Of course, they don't have Julio Jones. So when you don't have those three guys, I think it's probably safe to say, you know, it goes without saying AJ and Julio, but those are probably your three most talented receivers. Yes, I know Chester Rogers typically starts in the slot and and may get more snaps uh, than Marcus Johnson on any given Sunday when they're all healthy. But I think Marcus Johnson is probably a more talented receiver than Chester Rogers is. So when you don't have AJ, you don't have Marcus, you don't have Julio. I think you don't have your three most talented receivers. And we kind of saw what that looked like, right? Yes, Nick Westbrook stepped up and played a pretty good game. Des Fitzpatrick caught a touchdown. But there were also some issues too, right, with guys running wrong routes. Uh, you know, spacing concepts look to get kind of mixed up. You heard Tannehill call out an audible to Des to ask him if he understood it right before they ran a play. So you kind of see what this passing offense looks like when you don't have both AJ and Julio. And surprise, surprise, it's not very good, right? I mean, we knew they were top heavy. It is what it is. Not to mention, of course, not having Henry. And, you know, you think if you didn't have AJ and Julio, at least you'd hand it to, to the King 30 times and you might be okay, right, offensively. But when you don't have those three guys, look, you built this roster top heavy and, and no one can blame them for that. It was, it was an excellent way to approach a situation, but uh, it's not good. So if you don't have AJ in this game, I, I would really, really be concerned about the offense, especially going up against what I think is a really good defense in New England. Yeah, one of the best in the league. And that's a good way to segue here into this game recap, which I was going to start off with a spiel I had pre-typed here. Some of this is going to sound mildly repetitive after everything you just said, but here's what I wrote. In addition to not having Jackrabbit Jenkins, Jeremy McNichols, Greg Mabin, David Long Jr., Rashawn Evans, Nate Davis, who are all inactive, um, the Titans also have all those guys on IR, like Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, Bud Dupree, etc., in this game, the Titans saw A.J. Brown, Marcus Johnson, Tier Tart, Ola Adaini, Chris Jackson, Naquan Jones, and Dontrell Hilliard all leave with injuries at one point or another. I'm not sure if Hilliard came back. I don't think anyone else did um, besides when A.J. Brown came back the first time and then left again. You mentioned Marcus Johnson. His hamstring, I mean, he was ruled out immediately. It looks like he's probably done for the year, honestly. Uh, they haven't put him on IR yet, but... If they do, he won't oh, be go able on to IR, return yeah. <laughs> because he's already missed three. He's already done the IR stint once. So a return to IR would mean his season is over, and that would be really depressing because he just had a breakout game one week before. So it's it's pretty bad. But I think I mean you look at the story of this game, and there's there's two big things: it's the turnovers and the injuries. And not to excuse the offense for how they played, I really don't think the injuries are an excuse. Like the Titans, without the turnovers, I mean. Some people will say that the turnovers are because of all the injuries to the skilled players and that Tannehill didn't know where his guys were going to be, and that may be true for one or two of those plays. But I think for the most part, the injuries are not what cost the Titans this win. Yes, there were a ton of them. Yes, it's very hard to play through a game like that in in the midst of a season where you're already setting records, but I don't think that the injuries are enough that we can just write it off and say, well, if they were healthy, they would have dominated this game, even though they would have. Yeah, I've got a couple things to say on that. Um, They're dealing, obviously, with a ton of injuries. They have done so the entire season. 
But if we're going to sit here and we have in the past and give them praise for being able to overcome those injuries and beat teams like the Los Angeles Rams and beat teams like the Indianapolis Colts in that second game and beat teams like the New Orleans Saints and the Buffalo Bills earlier in there. Like they've had injuries all year long, right? I think you can agree. Yes. Do they probably have a few more now than they had three weeks ago? Probably, you know, but, but I think if we're, we're going to sit here and give them praise for winning those games with all the injuries that they had, which we did, and they deserved it. Don't get me wrong. They deserve that praise. But if we're going to do that, I don't know that it's fair to turn around and blame those same injuries when they lose, right? Because if, if you've praised them for overcoming it, then you can't just use it as an excuse when they fail to overcome it, right? I think that's probably a, a fair point to make. You can't have it both ways, so to speak. And overall, I don't think, you know, the Titans were outplayed in this game. I think, if anything, the Titans yeah. were – they showed throughout the game – this is going to sound crazy in a game that you lose 22-13, to 13, but they showed throughout the game – To a really bad Texans team. <laughs> to a 1-18 and 18 that was on the NFL's longest losing streak. Um, but they really did outplay the Texans. I mean, the Titans piled up 420 yards of offense to the Texans, 190. The Titans' defense was absolutely dominant in this game, and it didn't feel like that at times. But let me give you some stats here that back it up. The Texans had 12 total drives in this game. On nine of those drives, 75%, they went three and out. On five of those 12, the Texans gained one, zero, or negative yards. That's nearly half their drives. They had two productive drives all game. One of them ended in a field goal. One of them ended in a touchdown. They also had a 13-play drive that ended in a punt. Of course, that punt hit Chester Rogers in the foot and led to them getting the ball back at the five-yard line of the Titans. But they, uh, they only scored 10 points off of like their offense moving the ball. They had the one touchdown drive where Taylor, Taylor ran in, and they had a field goal. The other 12 points they scored were not just points off turnovers. They were directly because of turnovers, where they didn't even get a first down before scoring on the those other 12 points with the mixed extra, yeah, point, missed extra point in there. So, look, the offense turned it over four times. Chester Rogers had a ridiculously unaware play on that punt return. The team failed to convert on fourth down twice, once at the Houston 31 and once at the Houston 24. That's basically having seven turnovers. And despite all of that, they had a chance to win the game. But Tannehill was just ultimately horrific in this one. And it was his poor performance, along with all those injuries, that really cost them the game. So ultimately, I think... Like, it's not all on one person ever, but it's almost all on one person in you this know, kind you, of game. You know, it's funny. I'll Not that I'm going to totally disagree, because I do think Ryan Tannehill was bad. Uh, all I want to do is remain level-headed and say there's been a lot of crazy takes out there on Twitter about him, and I, I don't want to sound like a, an apologist for him right now, because he was bad. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it that he was bad, but if you are looking for blame or where to place blame, I'll remain level-headed and say that I think it's probably a snowball of everything. I think it's Ryan Tannehill making some really bad decisions with the football, whether, you know, the first interception to me was the worst one because it was a backbreaker oh, yeah. to me in the sense where you're driving down there. You're, I think, on Houston's 18, I think it was. You're, you were in the red zone for sure. And then uh, you, you, you don't see the linebacker. You throw the pick. He returns it. 81 yards or something ridiculous to down six. to your six 
Now, yeah, they, they didn't convert that into seven points, interestingly enough, right? They held them to a field goal. You had a great run stop on first and goal by uh, three players. I think it was Dylan Cole, Jayon Brown, and Harold Landry all met at the football in the backfield. Then Harold Landry makes a pretty good play on second down when they hit the quick hitter to, I think it was David Johnson, and Landry forces him out of bounds. And I can't quite recall what the third down play was now, but I think Jayon Brown may have been involved again. Um, but you, you get to stop there. But that interception to me, I mean, look, even with them getting the field goal, that's potentially a 10-point swing, right? Titans could have gone down there and scored a touchdown. Uh, you're already the, on the 18-yard line. Go the ahead. third and goal was the Nico Collins to the left corner of the end zone where his uh, elbow came down out of bounds. Okay, yes. Yeah, sorry. So Jalen Brown was not involved. I can't remember who the corner was there. I guess it doesn't really matter because Nico made a great play on the ball. Just uh, it was the correct call. He landed out, out of bounds. Tired. But Might have been I think if you're looking to place blame here, I think the level-headed answer is it's a little bit of everything. Oh, it's Chris Jones. Ryan Tannehill, Chris Jones, okay. Um, I I think if you're looking where to place blame, the right answer is probably a little bit of everything, right? You got one extreme on one side. You might have one extreme on the other. And then what do they say? The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, Was Tannehill bad? Absolutely. Did he make bad decisions? Yes. Was he largely inaccurate for most of the day? Yes, uh, as well. Um, did the injuries hurt them? Absolutely not. You know, Marcus Johnson has a hundred yard receiving game against New Orleans a week ago, looking to build upon that. Heck, I know guys who started him and fa- started him in fantasy football this week that were desperate <laughs> and knew he was starting right in place of who not Titans fans, by the way, I had guys in my league who aren't Titans fans started Marcus Johnson because they were desperate and you lose him in that hurt. And then AJ Brown played, I think it was 52% of the snaps he's in and out. I, I think that really hurt. So you're working with backups and look, I think Nick Westbrook played pretty damn good in this game. I mean, he made a couple yeah. of big shorthanded catches. The 46 yard gain was huge. Found himself in the open field there. Uh, yeah. That's Patrick Shore. He had the 18 yard touchdown grab. It was a pretty nice route. It was an even better throw uh, in my opinion, but then you had some instances where I think Des probably ran the wrong route. Didn't know what he was doing. Uh, maybe depth of target was an issue on one other play with Anthony Furkser. You see him uh, stop short of the sticks, which is ridiculous because it was like a third and two or third and three. And I don't know how you run a two, three yard route short of the sticks, but that's what he did there. And, and then you get Des on that one interception is, you know, I think we still have to review the tape, but pretty decent chance that he was at fault for one of them. Uh, that was at the pick where you had two receivers in the exact same area of the field. I mean, that's just inviting trouble, right? What are you doing? You're crowding more defenders to the ball and you're giving them a chance to, to make a good play on the ball, which I think Desmond King came up with that interception. That was one yeah, two. of two that he made yeah. on the day, former Tennessee Titan who I didn't like in Tennessee at all. I mean, I was remember being he excited play, when they traded for him, but I thought he was pretty bad. Truth be told. Didn't play was, for, he didn't play particularly well as a Titan. No, he didn't. I mean, it was not as good as we thought he was going to be, but comes up with two picks in this game but uh again that's kind of what i go back to saying where you're working with backup receivers uh you're working with again guys like des fitzpatrick nick westbrook anthony furzer who yeah may have all had their moments um but certainly did not play all that well at times and i think all of these things came together to contribute the disaster that you witnessed on sunday uh, from an offensive standpoint passing game specifically one thing that, that we talked about before this game was can the Titans not play down to inferior competition the way they've played up to great teams all year, uh, the way they played down to the Jets, and they did. They did not play well in this game at all. But that said, they had 26 first downs, they moved the ball a lot on offense, and that was something we wanted to see. So if you're looking for one positive to take out of this game, I would say they at least move the ball on offense. That's literally the only positive I can come up with. 
Other yeah. than that, I think this is ultimately just a fluke of a game with everything that could possibly go wrong going wrong. All the failed fourth, the two fourth, failed fourth downs, all the turnovers. It's just the punt. Oh. It's just as bad as it can get. So I think you just have to flush this game, move on to the Patriots. It's going to be a really tough game with lots of implications. And uh, that's kind of how I feel about talking about it, too, is I just want to flush it and move on. Are you uh, anything else to say on this game? I want to do that as well, but I will make two real quick points before we move on to New England with a terrific special guest that we have here. I'll push back on the yards thing. I'm not uh, I'll be the negative Nancy and I'll push back on it because I thought a lot of that was garbage time. I thought a lot of that was uh, maybe, you know, Houston content to play in you know, to play prevent a little bit and allow them to try to nickel uh, and dime them. I, I don't know I don't about know. I just, that. I mean, it wasn't really garbage time, though. It was a two-score game, and the Titans were moving the ball all game long, not just in the fourth quarter or and something. And then they made like, mistakes, right? They, yeah, I, but I, I just, they made mistakes after long drives, yes. at least lengthwise, pretty much throughout the game. They had a couple three and outs, but... For me, the, I, I just, I don't think that w- the way they moved the ball was enough to convince me that this offense is just fine. You know what I just, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted more than that. I, I want, certainly want them to finish those drives, right? Well, that's, that's the big thing for sure. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm just not prepared to say, well, they moved the ball terrifically. We're good. No, I, I didn't really quite see what I was hoping to they see. They had what- almost twice as many yards in this game as they had in either of their last two games, more than twice as many as they did against the Rams. So yeah, that's pretty just, good. Uh, and, and they scored 13 points, right? And turned it over four well, that's times. That's why they lost. That's uh, why they of lost. Of course, it is why they lost, right? You, 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 I don't care who you're playing. You turn it over five times. You're definitely going to lose. Definitely, definitely. We agree on that. I'm just saying... I saw what I needed to see from this offense against an inferior defense. They were much better this game than either of the last two games at moving the ball. And they didn't finish drives, and that's why they lost, obviously. But, yeah, sorry, go on. Last point I'll make before we move on to New England. I know you were down you know, multiple scores in the second half. The weather was absolutely atrocious. I would love to see Ryan Tannehill not throw the football 52 times uh, in a game with that kind of okay. weather. Even when they were down... I wonder if they would have been better suited sticking with the run a bit more than they did. And and, and I don't know. I, I would have liked to see that personally. I, I absolutely agree with that. Sticking with the run there, especially they were running the ball well. Dontrell Hilliard was a very surprisingly good player in this he game. Had some juice, he, even as a ball did. carrier, not just as a third down guy yeah. that caught a ton of passes in the second half. They started with him early, right? And he was surprisingly yeah, he played- decent as a traditional between the tacklers runner. Right, and he, he got in the game ahead of Foreman, so I'd, I'd like to see more of him if, if McNichols has to miss any more time. Who leads the team in carries next week really quickly? I wouldn't bet a dime on it because I have no friggin' clue. Between the three yeah. of them, not a clue in the world. And I'm staying away from it in a fantasy football perspective. Um, all right, let's move on now and get to our guest. We are thrilled to be joined here by a superstar of a guest. He spent eight years covering the Patriots for NESN.com. We are thrilled to be joined by Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus. Covers the whole league, but covered the Patriots really closely for a long time. So we're really excited to get his perspective on this matchup. A big one in the AFC with the Patriots now sitting atop the AFC East. Who would have seen that coming? Maybe some people, but not a lot. Doug, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. We're going to start off our conversation here around what I think is probably the biggest talking point with the Patriots, and that's rookie quarterback Mac Jones. He has really started to play well over the last few weeks. 
tell us what you've seen from from Mac this year and what kind of your expectations are going for the rest of the season. I, I've been a little bit surprised by how good he's been. Uh, I think that you know my expectations coming in were that he'd be you know a kind of what we saw early in the season, but I'd say that if what we're seeing right now is the floor for the rest of his career, then I think that that just kind of raises his ceiling as well uh, throughout the rest of his career as well. But uh, one thing that I've, I've noticed, and I'm actually going to write about this this week is that Mac Jones throws a, a really surprisingly catchable football and it's, it's kind of a different style than what you see around the rest of the NFL, where a lot of quarterbacks really don't take a lot of velocity off the football. Uh, they kind of try to fire it in. They don't have that, I guess, um, awareness when it comes to throwing the football. And it's actually lowered the Patriots drop rate quite a bit. I'm not sure if that's all a coincidence wow. or not, uh, but the Patriots have kind of had some issues with drops over the years. And it seems like Mac Jones just, like I said, throws throws more catchable football than than what we've seen here for a while. But no, I, I'm really surprised by him. I think that uh, he came in NFL ready, which I think a lot of people expected, but I wasn't expecting him to be this much better than every other rookie quarterback. Yeah. Okay. He's been really impressive. I'm curious, Doug, because he's obviously gotten better as the weeks have gone by. I mean, that week one game against Miami wasn't great. Week two against New York, they really leaned on their defense, yeah. right? Kind of got them that win. And then week three in New Orleans, they get blown out. Um, what do you think it is about him that has allowed him to progress so quickly? I think the, the Patriots kind of took it easy on him a little bit at, at the beginning of the season, and they weren't putting too much on his plate. So I think that that allowed him to develop maybe a little bit better than some of the other rookie quarterbacks. Like, I mean, when we saw Zach Wilson at the beginning of the season, Robert Sal even said, like, he doesn't always have to basically play hero ball. I'm, I'm kind of adjusting his words there a little bit, but, you know, it, sometimes it, it's smart to be safe. And that's, I think, how the Patriots were kind of trying to, to rise Mac Jones up in the system. I think that it, it suited them well, where they've just added a little bit more week to week. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that, that has allowed him to play better as he's grown in the system. And, and the, the system has really kind of allowed him to grow within it. But I also think that, you know, the offensive line's gotten quite a bit better with it, within uh, recent weeks as well. Trent Brown off of injury reserve. That's kind of helped solidify things. Ted Karras playing really well at left guard as well. Now, maybe not the best five offensive linemen that we would have expected coming into the season because Michael on wasn't starting right now, but this is the group that's working. Plus the fact that they've got Ramondre Stevenson running really well, Damian Harris back the offense, just all, all around seems to suit what Mac Jones does. Uh, still they're, they're not really forcing him to, to throw down field a lot. So I think that there are still, you know, they've got the safety net on there a little bit for him, but no, I do think that it's just, a typical rookie progression and the way that the Patriots handled him early in the season has allowed that progression. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, looking at the way the offense has performed over the last month and a half and honestly the defense too, I'm curious what you think, because sometimes it's hard to gauge just how good a team is early to middle in the season based on their opponents that they've played and the Patriots. I mean, they haven't played the toughest schedule of games, especially over the last five or so since that Cowboys game. Thursday night football is a little weird. 25 points, 25-0 victory against the Falcons. Obviously, they had a defensive touchdown in that one. But before that, the offense was rolling. 45 against the Browns, 54 against the Jets, 
who've been historically bad. So it's like, again, tough to say, but how much of the Patriots' success recently do you think is them coming together as a team versus the schedule that they've played? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, you know, everyone kind of knew that coming into the season, they they didn't have the, the toughest strength of schedule. But at the same time, I do think that it's a, it's a defense that Bill Belichick sort of strives to build every year, I think where it's a lot of smart players who know what to do. They don't have to be the most talented. They don't have to be the most athletic. Um, and, you know, you're used to seeing, especially in the modern NFL, all these, you know, fast linebackers who can cover sideline to sideline and these, you know, high-powered pass rushers that run 4-4 or whatever it is. The Patriots aren't really built off that. They've got guys like Matt Judon, who's kind of a, a bigger, slower edge defender who's having a lot of success this season. Kyle Van Noy wasn't great in Miami. He comes back to New England, has a massive game on Thursday Night Football. Yeah. Uh, the, the Jamie Collins thing didn't last for long before he hit IR. But he was another guy who made some big plays when he was on the field. Dante Hightower back off of uh, – he, he set out last season because of COVID. Now he's back in the mix making plays. So it it's all these guys who've been around the NFL for a really long time. They know what they're doing. And that's really what's most important in the Patriots defense. I know that sounds kind of crazy because they've had a lot of talented players over the years, but half the battle of knowing what Bill Belichick wants you to do is, is playing within yourself, knowing, doing your job, all that stuff. And one other thing too, just on the defense in general is that Patriots have kind of shifted their coverage scheme a little bit over the last couple of years as they built it around the personnel on their roster. When it was Stephon Gilmore and JC Jackson back in 2019, they were going really heavy on man coverage this year. And even, you know, starting last year, they flipped it a lot more towards zone coverage. They're actually running a lot of cover three right now, which is something that you might not have expected out of a Patriots defense a few years ago, but it shows that Bill Belichick is willing to shift his scheme to the talent on the roster. I'm so glad that you said that because uh, one of my buddies, Carter, over at the Draft Network, he recently wrote an article um, about how when the whole league is, I think he said, you know, uh, zigging Bill Belichick zags, right? I mean, they go out and they get, they got a fullback, right? And they, and they run him a lot and they got this running back by committee. They got all those big guys defensively. They got the former LSU kid in the middle that you didn't even mention, right? A 320 pound monster who I think is playing some good football as well. So it's just so interesting to see the way he's built this team, uh, how he's gone. You said it with the linebackers in completely different directions, right? He doesn't go out and get guys like Roquan Smith and Nico Parsons and these, these four, four sideline to sideline rangy linebackers. It's fascinating to me how quickly he's rebuilt this roster and the way that he's done it. It's another thing that he does that I'm not sure how many other teams in the NFL really do this. I'm sure there's a few, but I think the way that Bill Belichick looks at it is, okay, in the middle of my defense, would I rather have, you know, a 230 pound linebacker who can cover well for a linebacker, but might not cover that well compared to, you know, a safety or a defensive back, or would I rather have a 215 pound defensive back like Adrian Phillips or Kyle Duggar kind of in that same similar role weighs, you know, five, 10 pounds less but is actually better for the role that I want to fit him into. So it's this weird hybrid thing where you've got 260-pound linebackers next to a 215-pound defensive back in the middle of the defense, 
And it all kind of works out last season, especially Patriots went really heavy on seven defensive backs. That was almost like their base defense at time was like a dime or, or kind of a quarters package. They've stayed away from that a little bit, but that, that was just another thing where they had way more talented defensive backs on their roster last season than they did front seven players. So he was like, all right, we're going to put all the defensive backs on the field and just, you know, see if it works. It didn't work that great last season, but at least it was, you know, showing some, some willingness and some creativity in there. Right. Yeah. I want to transition a little bit and talk about, so you mentioned the, the, the Patriots running a lot more zone this year. And I'm wondering because Mike Vrabel now obviously spent a lot of time in New England. Mm -hmm. John Robinson spent a lot of time in New England, Titans general manager. Bill Belichick is now 0-2 against Mike Vrabel. If you count the playoff loss that quote unquote ended the dynasty with Tom Brady's last game in New England and um, the regular season game in 2018 where the Titans had, still had Marcus Mariota at quarterback and they, they really dominated the Patriots that day. I'm wondering if you think this game means anything extra to Bill Belichick, if that's just dumb media narrative stuff, and if uh, he does anything special with the game plan or anything like that to try to throw off what maybe the, the Titans who are so familiar with New England would be expecting. I'm sure that, you know, publicly he would say, no, it doesn't mean anything extra. But yeah, I think that, you know, losing to to Mike Vrabel, I think that especially with Vrabel being the type of guy that he is, where right. I don't think Mike Vrabel's really going to let Bill Belichick forget about that. He's one of those guys who I think, you know, treats Bill Belichick basically and not like any other guy, but he's certainly not going to be afraid of Bill Belichick. Uh, and that's not the way that he, he really treated him when he was in New England. So, yeah, I think that it probably does. And I, I just that's the that's the issue, though, for Bill Belichick going up against a guy who knows him so well, uh, knows the defense so well and, you know, probably knows the offense pretty well as well, because he was playing tight end in the red zone. He right. was going up against that offense for, you know, 10 years, whatever it was in New England. So it, it's tough where you almost have to play. It, it's like playing rock, paper, scissors, where like, if you both threw down paper, then you have to guess what the other person is guessing that what you're guessing you're going to throw next. So like, yeah, maybe he heads into this game with Mike, like thinking like, okay, well, we've been playing a lot of zones. So maybe Mike Vrabel thinks we're going to play man, but no, he's too smart for that. So we're going to play zone. So maybe we'll, we will play man. You know, it's like, it's just this mind game between them. And I am, I'm really curious to see how each one of them handles it. Uh, but it's it's really tough to know exactly how Belichick will do that. I would say the smartest thing would just be to keep playing to his his team's strengths because J.C. Jackson's a great man cornerback, uh, but Jalen Mills really isn't, and they don't have a lot of the cornerbacks to play man coverage. So smartest move would probably be to uh, keep going zone on this one. Doug, I want to ask you a question about the running backs. I'm really curious about how you see this playing out the rest of the way because Ramondre Stevenson's been really good lately, right? He kind of ran with that opportunity uh, when Damian Harris was out with the concussion. And then you get Damian back in the Atlanta game, and uh, and it was almost like a timeshare, right? They both carried the ball, I think, at least 10 times it was. Mm -hmm. and, and Harris looks great, you know, coming back. He really did. But so did Ramondre, right? He, he did not uh, take a back seat to him. So how do you kind of see this playing out down the stretch? I think it could be somewhat similar to what the Browns do uh, with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And I know that they're kind of different backs, where I guess Damian Harris and Nick Chubb are somewhat similar. Nick Chubb's better, but they're both kind of the, the same style. Uh, you know, not the greatest out of the backfield, but are, are really strong runners. 
Ramondre Stevenson's quite a bit bigger than Kareem Hunt. He's almost, you know, he's listed 246, something like that. I think he said recently he's actually like 230, but he can actually catch out of the backfield. He's not going to be a typical third down back, but he adds a little bit extra out of the backfield where I do think that some sort of timeshare, it's really kind of a, a three-man committee because Brandon Bolden is sort of their pseudo third down back now that James White's out for the season. But yeah, I think that at least on early downs, they probably will switch on and off. I don't think it's necessarily going to be Damian Harris carrying the ball 20 times a game or Ramondre Stevenson carrying the ball 20 times a game. I think that Stevenson has shown enough this season where he's basically forced his way onto the field. And until he starts playing, you know, worse, or if he, you know, starts fumbling ball or whatever it is, (laughs) I think that he's going to have to stay on the field. He's just been that good at this point. Yeah. I, uh, I've been playing him in fantasy and not too disappointed. So (laughs) smart Doug, we really appreciate your time tonight. We're going to wrap it up here with one more question and it's, kind of about getting your overall expectations for how the game unfolds. If you want to give us a score prediction, feel free. We don't require it, of course. Okay. Um, Mike Vrabel's 1-4 record against rookie quarterbacks will be tested in this game, so that's sort of an interesting stat. His only win was against Trevor Lawrence. Um, but how do you think this game's going to go? It's so tough to say, and I, it's kind of a cop-out and to kind of take this in a longer direction, but and the NFL has just been so unpredictable this season. Like, who would have really? possibly seen the Titans losing to the Texans on Sunday? Like, I know that I did have some questions about the Titans heading into that game, uh, just because the, the injury to Derrick Henry, I, it felt a little bit like they had gotten on kind of a, a, a lucky swing there. But I think that you can actually say something similar about the Patriots heading into this game now. Patriots have the longest winning streak in the NFL at five games. Um, I'm not sure quite how sustainable it is. They're the hot team in the AFC right now. And, and it kind of feels like that's something that could flip in this game where, where the Titans could beat them. And uh, as you said earlier, Mike Vrabel has had success against Bill Belichick. Maybe he hasn't had success against rookie quarterbacks, but um, <laughs> that's, that usually goes the other way with, with good head coaching. So right. I, I would say that I, I probably expect the Titans um to win this game, but it's, it's really interesting. These teams are are pretty similar. I think where they're probably playing a little bit better than their roster is actually constructed right now. Um, So I think it's gonna be a close game, but I'd probably just give the the slight edge to the Titans. Interesting. This will definitely carry huge playoff implications. Obviously the, uh, the top of the AFC suddenly is very crowded with the Titans at eight and three, the Ravens in second in the second seed right now at seven and three already had their bye. Titans and Patriots both have not. So Patriots at seven and four, depending on what happens with the Ravens against Cleveland this weekend and with the Chiefs this weekend, the uh, the Patriots could find themselves at the top of the conference if they win this game. So it's pretty crazy. It's pretty unbelievable. It's, yeah. And it, quite honestly, not to not to go off on one more tangent, but when the Patriots were, you know, two and four and they were all saying, you know, like, we don't feel like a two and four team. We feel like we're better than that and everything. I, people around the league, because I covered the Patriots last season. I just moved over to PFF this year. And some some like people around the league, on teams, executives, whatever, were like, oh, I'll bet you're glad you got out of New England. Like, seems like kind of a, you know, a down season to cover, all this stuff. And it was like, they were kind of grave dancing on the Patriots a little bit. And now they've ripped off this five-game winning streak. So it's pretty amazing yeah. how things shift in the NFL. No kidding. Well, thanks again for your time, Doug. We really appreciate it. 
great insights and uh, wishing you the best of luck as you continue your journey covering the NFL now. Thanks. And thanks for having me. Thanks again to Doug Kide. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Doug Kide, K-Y-E-D. And that will do it for this show. You can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. Thanks again for listening on a down week where the Titans were miserable. Check out broadwaysportsmedia.com for all your Titans coverage. And we will be back next week. Even though the Titans are on by, we are not taking a buy. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Until then, y'all stay safe and tighten up. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. A Broadway Sports Media Production.